0: Hello fellow saints and welcome back to Come Follow Me with Brother T. Uh, This is our second podcast of the Book of Mormon. We are doing Jacob chapters 5 through 7. Some great deep discussion here in in Jacob chapter 5 through 7. We have the allegory and then of course we uh, get to talk about Sherem, the first antichrist of the Book of Mormon. So let's jump right in and talk about the allegory. Jeffrey R. Holland said, An allegory uses symbolic representations to convey moral or spiritual ideas. These symbols provide additional meaning to the story when studied. The value of the allegory lies in understanding what it represents. So who wrote this allegory? This is written by Zenos. Uh, It says pretty clearly that Jacob loved the writings of Zenos. And Zenos was clearly a prophet that lived in the Old Testament world. Um, we're assuming that, that Jacob got these from the brass plates. We don't see any reference of Zenos uh, anywhere but in the Book of Mormon. We see Zenus and Zenic, so we're assuming that they're writers of, of many great prophecies. And in this allegory, we look at the various meanings, and we need to digest it and dissect it, uh, in order for an allegory to be actually interesting, you have to understand what it is uh, and that, that helps it be meaningful as well. And I can remember as a kid reading or getting to to Jacob chapter five and thinking seventy seven verses I gotta read this so but now I read it and and i I really enjoy the allegory. It makes sense to me, and it's because I understand the history and I've had the chance to to really go through it. Nitpicking all of the details and find out different ways that different symbols can mean different things. So let's dissect this allegory. First of all, if you look in the "Come Follow Me" instruction manual, you'll see that it's got it already broken down. This nice little graphic that you have to click on; it'll blow up and put you. It takes you to a, a link to one of the church websites, and it has the verses broken down into the first time that the the Lord of the Vineyard goes and checks on his trees, and the second, and the third, and the fourth, and the fifth. The first time that the man goes back to the vineyard, he notices that his tree is waxing old and is beginning to decay. And so he takes care of it. He does what he needs to do. Now, this represents the scattering of Israel before the time of Christ. And as if you look at your history, right, the the Lord establishes covenants with Israel, actually with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, and then it got passed down through Isaac and Jacob, Jacob being Israel. And those covenants went on. For quite a while. Remember the the children of Israel spent their time in Egypt where they were put into slavery because it became too prosperous. And then Moses freed them and then they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years being knuckleheads. And then they got into the promised land and they prospered for quite some time. And they did so off and on, depending on the leader that they had. And then they had two major leaders, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, who disagreed and they each wanted to be king. And the kingdom split into the northern and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom being Ephraim, which consisted of 10 tribes. And the southern kingdom was Judah, which consisted of basically Judah and Benjamin. And those were the the not lost two tribes, if you will. And so as they go along, right, you look and there's there's warfare and there's Syrian attacks. And then the Assyrians wipe out the northern kingdom and scatter them. And that's where you get the the scattered Israel and the lost 10 tribes. Judah held strong for quite some time until the Babylonians came and wiped them out and and also scattered them, but not not afar. And it wasn't until the Persians came in and allowed the Jews or the kingdom of Judah to be reestablished back again in Jerusalem that They started to prosper once again, but by then they had taken all of these different people, at least the Assyrians, and and they'd fled north and south and this way and that way, and that's what we're talking about here in this allegory, where he's taking off the natural branches and he's putting them in different plots of land. Now, there was one that we know about specifically, a good branch that he planted in a good area that we know was Lehi's children. And it will say later how they split into two and one brought forth good fruit and the other brought forth bad fruit, which obviously is the Lamanites and then the Nephites bringing forth the good fruit. Now, before we go too much farther, there's some important symbols that we need to understand here. It says in verse three, for behold, thus saith the Lord, I will liken thee, O house of Israel, like unto a tame olive tree, which a man took and nourished in his vineyard and it grew and waxed old and began to decay. So as you look at that, Pretty clear, the house of Israel is a tame olive tree. Now, the man or the master right there can be considered our Heavenly Father, or it could be considered the Savior as well. Remember, this is an allegory, so various different symbols can mean different things at different times. In verse 6, it talks about the tops. It says, And it came to pass that after many days it began to put forth somewhat a little young and tender branches, but behold, the main top thereof began to perish, which meant... That the people were good, good-hearted. They were trying to do well, but the leaders were the were the rotten part of, it, of the tree. They were decaying. They were leading the people astray in spite of their goodness. And then in 7 it says, And it came to pass that the master of the vineyard saw it, and he said unto his servant, It grieveth me that I should lose this tree. Wherefore, go and pluck the branches from a wild olive tree, and bring them hither unto me, and we will pluck off those main branches which are beginning to wither away. And we will cast them into the fire that they may be burned. And that's where you have the influence of the surrounding countrymen, the Medes, the Assyrians, the Assyrians. That's where you get the Samaritans later on who are grafted in as neighbors to the house of Israel, if you will. And they become part of the house of Israel to a certain extent, right? And, and you, you read this in the allegory, and it looks like they, you know they're still considered the, the wild olive branches. But they do play a role, and a major role. We talked already about verse 8. It says, And behold, saith the Lord of the vineyard, I take away many of these young and tender branches, and I will graft them whithersoever I will. And it mattereth not, if it so be that the root of the tree will perish, I may preserve the fruit thereof unto myself. Wherefore, I will take these young and tender branches, and I will graft them whithersoever I will." And that, of course, is the scattering of Israel and some scattered by the the vicious uh, kingdoms in the surrounding area and others left, like Lehi. And we don't know how many others left or were commanded to leave. So to recap real quickly, you've got the tame olive tree, which is the house of Israel. You have the man or the master, which is the Lord. You have the tops of the olive tree, which are the corrupt leaders or the Sanhedrin. You have the servants, which are prophets um, could be also the Savior. It uh, could be church leaders later, apostles, things like that. You have branches, which are various congregations of the church. You have replanted trees or replanted shoots, uh, which is scattered Israel. And then you have the wild olive tree that we take shoots from and graft it in, and those are the Gentiles. Now, there are a few more symbols in there. You have grafting, and grafting for a tree is where you take a healthy branch and you you cut it in such a way at an angle, and then you cut a slice into the main branch or or to the trunk of a healthy tree or healthy trunk, and you wrap it tight so that eventually it becomes part of that new tree. And, of course, it's going to be a little bit different with the wild olive tree You're grafting and shoots from the wild olive tree into the tame olive tree, and you'd expect to get wild fruit, but that doesn't always happen. Sometimes you get tame fruit. It just kind of depends on which one dominates a little bit more. And that grafting represents missionary work, which makes sense. You're bringing others who are not necessarily of the house of Israel, who have not covenanted, and you're bringing them in. You're grafting them to the, the natural olive tree, the tame olive tree, or the church, and you're hoping that they bring forth good fruit, which represents good works. You also have pruning, dunging, digging. And this is ministry work. This is going out to our fellow brothers and sisters who are already members of the church, who are already covenanted, and ministering to them, making sure they're doing okay, making sure that they're keeping the commandments, uh, encouraging them to bring forth good work as well. And then, of course, fruit, which we have already covered, but it is the works of men and of the church. Verses fifteen through twenty-eight talk about the ministry or the time period of the ministry of Christ and His apostles, and then also shortly after the resurrection. So, if you look at this, you know it says here in in verse seventeen, and it came to pass that the Lord of the Vineyard looked and beheld the tree in which the wild olive branches had been grafted, and it had sprung forth and begun to bear fruit, and he beheld that it was good fruit, and the fruit thereof was like unto the natural fruit. So, there we have all of these these grafted-in branches. These extra people that that got brought into the house of Israel at this time, but this the problem is is that the the leadership is still decaying. It's not it's not doing too well. Uh, then of course you get you go down to to twenty five and it says and he said unto the servant, look hither and behold the last. Behold, this I have planted in a good spot of ground and I have nourished it this long time. And only a part of the tree hath brought forth tame fruit, and the other part of the tree hath brought forth wild fruit. Behold, I have nourished this tree like unto the others. And that, in my mind, is the, the division between the, the Lamanites and the Nephites. Uh, good good plot of ground, the, the promised land. But you have a division and you have some, some part of the tree that's that's really good and some that's not. Uh, just like the Nephites and the Lamanites. And then you have verses 24 through 49, which is the great apostasy. And it says in, in verse 32, But behold, this time it hath brought forth much fruit and there is none of it which is good. And behold, there are all kinds of bad fruit, and it profiteth me nothing, notwithstanding all our labor. And now it grieveth me that I should lose this tree. And the Lord of the vineyard said unto the servant, What shall we do unto the tree, that I may preserve again good fruit thereof unto mine own self? And the servant said unto his master, Behold, because thou didst graft in the branches of the wild olive tree, they have nourished the roots, that they are alive, and they have not perished. Wherefore, Thou beholdest that they are yet good. So here we're talking about the, the roots are still good, the covenant is still in place, but the main part of the tree has gone rotten. There, in, it's in great apostasy. So they let it go for quite a while. They let it. They let it just run its course. They let the the people of the church be in apostasy until the gathering of Israel, which starts up in verses fifty through seventy six. And and you can read then in verse fifty. It says, But behold, the servant said unto the Lord of the vineyard, Spare it a little longer. And 51, And the Lord said, Yea, I will spare it a little longer, for it grieveth me that I should lose the tree of my vineyard. 52, Wherefore, let us take of the branches of these which I have planted in the nethermost parts of my vineyard, and let us graft them into the tree from whence they came, and let us pluck from the tree those branches whose fruit is most bitter and graft into the natural branches of the tree in the stead thereof. So here we have the coming forth of the Gentiles, and that's where you get later on into the the first shall be last, the last shall be first. Gentiles were the last to receive the gospel, and now they're being the first to receive it uh, in the gathering of Israel. It says in verse 54, And behold, the roots of the natural branches of the tree, which I planted, whithersoever I would, are yet alive. Wherefore, that I may preserve them also for mine own purpose, I will take of the branches of this tree, and I will graft them into them. And now here comes the call to gather Israel. It says in verse 61, Wherefore, go to and call servants that we may labor diligently with our might in the vineyard, that we may prepare the way, that I may bring forth again the natural fruit, which natural fruit is good and the most precious above all other fruits. Wherefore, let us go and labor with our might this last time. For behold, the end draweth nigh, and this is for the last time that I shall prune my vineyard. Or 63, graft in the branches, begin at the last, that they may be first, and that the first may be last, and dig about the trees, both old and young, the first and the last, the last and the first, that all may be nourished once again for the last time. And then he says something interesting in, in 66. He says, that the root and the top may be equal in strength until the good shall over, overcome the bad. And that's where we are right now. We We need a membership that's strong enough and a leadership that's strong enough that they're equal, that they're equally yoked, and they're pushing together to grow and to grow the church. And, and that's where we are. That's what we should be. Uh, although we are weeding out those who are not committed and those who are not going to be part of the gathering of Israel and those who reject the covenant. Just like it says in verse 69, And the bad shall be cast away, even out of the land of my vineyard. For behold, only this once will I prune my vineyard. And then the last two verses are the end the millennium uh, after israel has been gathered the fruit is good we have it says in verse 76 for behold for a long time will i lay up the fruit of my vineyard unto mine own self against the season which speedily cometh and for the last time have i nourished my vineyard and pruned it and dug about it and dunged it wherefore i will lay up unto mine own self of the fruit for a long time according to that which i have spoken Then that, of course, is talking about the the thousand years where Satan is bound and we are prospering. But Satan will be unloosed for a short season. It says in 77, And when the time cometh that evil fruit shall again come into my vineyard, then will I cause the good and the bad to be gathered, and the good will I preserve unto myself, and the bad will I cast away into its own place. And then cometh the season and the end, and my vineyard will I cause to be burned with fire. And there you have it, the allegory, Zenos' allegory of the tame olive tree representing the, the history of the children of Israel from the beginning of the world until the end of the world. Great allegory. I hope you get a chance to to dive into it, to dissect it, and to really look at it well. And then we go into chapter 6, which recaps the most important themes that Jacob wants to reiterate uh, in this in this allegory. And one of the things that he wants to, to emphasize is in verse 7, he says, For behold, after ye have been nourished by the good word of God all the day long, will ye bring forth evil fruit, that ye must be hewn down and cast into the fire? That's a great question. After we know everything that we know, are you going to turn against the church? And then he leaves us with kind of his last exasperated plea for us to do, you know, to be okay in verse 12. He says, O be wise, what can I say more? Great line, uh, something we can use on ourselves and on our children uh, quite often. And then we transition into chapter 7, which kind of seems like it was added on uh, later. Like it, it seems at the, be, the end of, of chapter 6, Jacob says, Finally, I bid you a farewell until I shall meet you again at the pleasing bar of God. It sounds like he's done writing. But then this episode with, with Sherem, the first Antichrist, happens. And so he begins writing again to make sure that we know about this episode and that we can learn from it. And Sherem, like I said, being the first Antichrist, if you look at Sherem's words, okay, in verse 2, it says flattering. Verse 4 says, and he was learned that he had a perfect knowledge of the language. So he had a, a, a way with words. He could, he could speak to people. Wherefore, he could use much flattery and much power of speech according to the power of the devil. And then you get down to verse 6 and, and notice his, his technique. He's talking about Jacob says, for I heard and also know that thou goest about much, preaching that which ye call the gospel. Or the doctrine of christ right he's he's trying to sow in doubt there and says in verse seven and ye have led away much of this people that they pervert the right way of the god and keep not the law of moses which is the right way and convert the law of moses into worship and he goes down farther this is blasphemy for no man can know such things he cannot tell of things to come right He's sowing in all sorts of doubt so that the the followers of Jacob are going well I, you know he I guess he doesn't know verse 9 says Jacob asks him if he believes in Christ and he says if there should be a Christ i would not deny him but i know that there is no Christ neither has been nor nor ever will be and this is pure and simple sophistry you know he's he's presenting it out there he's saying what what he thinks Jacob says and and just putting in enough sarcasm a little doubt a little bit of hey this this is not possible it doesn't make any sense and then he does the worst thing that, that he he's ever done in his life, and he asks for a sign. And Christ was pretty specific that people who ask for a sign are adulterers. So clearly uh, Sherem was an adulterer, or at least he was trying to adulterate the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Either way, we know it ends really bad for Sherem. On the flip side, let's look at how Jacob responds. And and he's as cool as a cucumber, right? He He doesn't have any... Any problems with Sherem trying to, to attack him? He knows. And, and he says in verse 5, he says, Notwithstanding the many revelations and the many things which I have seen concerning these things, right? He's seen, he's had revelations. And for I truly had seen angels, and they had ministered unto me. That you couldn't shake him. And also, I had heard the voice of the Lord speaking unto me. There was no way that Sherem was going to shake his faith. And and this is the the real reason why. In verse eight it says, but behold, the Lord God poured in His spirit into my soul, insomuch that I did confound him in all his words. And then he uses this tool to go on the offensive. He asks in verse ten, he says, and I said unto him, believest thou the scriptures? Okay, he's using the scriptures as a tool. And and of course, Sherem says, yeah, I believe in the scriptures. And and he says, and I said unto him then in verse eleven, then ye do not understand them. For they truly testify of Christ. Behold, I say unto you that none of the prophets have written nor prophesied, save they have spoken concerning the Christ. Verse 12, And this is not all. It has been made manifest unto me, for I have heard and seen. And it also has been made manifest unto me by the power of the Holy Ghost. That, brothers and sisters, is the main message of Jacob chapter 7. That we can know by the power of the Holy Ghost, that Christ atoned for our sins, for each of us. And we don't need a sign. We've had signs. We have the Holy Ghost. We have the Scriptures. We have prophets. We have apostles. We have parents and other leaders who share their testimonies that allow us to feel that Spirit and confirm the truth of this. We know it ends bad for Sharon. We know he... He asked for the sign and and Jacob says, "What are you going to tempt your God?" and he says, "Well, finally, hey, you know what if you want a sign, that's the Lord's doing. He'll give you a sign and of course he was he was struck dumb and he was passed out for quite a while and when he came to, he said, "You know i'm i think i've I think I've really messed up here. Jacob was right; there will be a christ and and then he died, and it had a great impact on the people. I hope that we don't have to use those extremes to gain a testimony, brothers and sisters." We can gain testimony line upon line, precept upon precept, by studying the gospel each and every day and striving to feel the Holy Ghost confirm the truth of what we read in the gospel. Uh, that's, That's the simplest way that we can do it. And I'm going to bear my testimony that I know that Christ is our Savior and that he did atone for our sins and that we can know the truth through the power of the Holy Ghost. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Uh, I also hope that you will make it a little bit more interactive. I didn't get any emails this last week, which is understandable. My email is drjaredthomas at gmail.com. That's D-R-J-A-R-E-D-T-H-O-M-A-S at gmail.com. I'd love it if you'd submit some, some questions, your comments, uh, what you know, what you got from these, these different chapters and verses. And also remember that we're, we're going into the next set of chapters for Come, Follow Me. So I'd love to hear what you have to say about Enos and about Jerem Omni and all the other uh, contributors to the Book of Mormon. And let me know, and let's discuss and go from there. I'm also open to having a Zoom class. I have a Zoom account, and we can put, gosh, up to 100 people or something like that in that Zoom class. So let me know if that sounds interesting to you, and we can go from there. Have a great day.